Hey, this is Todd and Julie Mullen, senior pastors here at Christ Fellowship Church in South Florida. Whether you're across the street or across the world, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy week to join for this message. We hope that it encourages you and inspires you to get more out of life. I want to welcome everybody today who's joining us across all of our campuses. We're so excited about the next couple of weeks at Christ Fellowship because today we're kicking off a conversation called Take Back Your Life. And I don't know about you, but I just feel like, especially in this last season of life, so much has been lost. More specifically, so much has been taken. And I just believe it's time for the people of God to get up and step up and take back our life. In Jesus' name, amen. In 1964, there was a 16-year-old kid named Frank. And Frank that day, he stood in front of a mostly empty courtroom and he stared up at a judge that he could barely see over the bench. And while most 16-year-olds are thinking about, you know, getting their license and hanging out with their friends and all of that, Frank was in the courtroom that day because his parents were getting divorced. And he had to make a decision. The judge was actually asking him who he wanted to live with, mom or dad. And he decided in that moment that he really didn't wanna make that decision. He decided that he didn't want to live with either of them. And so that very night he went home and he sat down with his driver's license. Now, Frank always looked a little bit older than he really was. People told him he kind of looked like he was in his 20s. He was sort of tall, well-built, had a little bit of gray hair. And so he took out his license and he changed the age from 16 to 26. And that moment began for Frank a five-year journey of forgery and fraud. (laughs) Because what he did from that moment is he literally went around the world on a journey that would take him to 26 countries, all 50 US states, cashing $2.5 million in fraudulent checks. And he would literally just go from place to place assuming people's identities, stealing their identities. He, he pretended to be a college professor, a doctor, an airline pilot, right? And, and it's the most famous case of identity theft in modern history because at the time when Frank started this, nobody had ever even heard of this before. Now, maybe you've heard the story, maybe you've seen the movie, but what you need to understand more than anything else is this, that man had an identity problem. He didn't know who he was. And here's the truth that we need to understand this morning. You and I, we have an identity problem. We don't know who we are. Our identity problem is not that we want to be someone different than who we really are. Our identity problem is not that we see ourselves differently than people see us. Actually, our greatest identity problem is that we don't see ourselves the way that God sees us. And that problem is the source of most of the strife that we experience in life. All of our insecurities, all of our nervousness, all of our worry, so much of the tension that exists in our world today all boils down to this great problem. We don't see ourselves the way that God sees us. A few years ago, I was hanging out on a Friday, which is uh, typically my day off, and I was at home with my son, Declan. Uh, He's seven now, he was a lot younger at the time, and um, I don't even really remember what happened that day, but uh, throughout the course of the day, he he kinda kept getting in trouble, and I I was reprimanding him, and at one point, I I said, Declan, I I just need you to go to your room. 
and I want you to think about what just happened. And so I sent him off to his room and, uh, and I finished up what I was doing. I'm pretty sure I was washing dishes in the kitchen. And after a while, I kind of looked up and I was like, oh, where's my kid? So I, I went to his room and I was like, oh man, I had just forgotten that I had asked him to do that. And when I walked through his door, he was sitting on his bed crying and like just weeping. I was like, oh, my heart sunk, you know? I was like, what is going on? I walked over to him, I'm like, Declan, buddy, what, what's wrong? And through all of his tears, the only thing that he could get out was, I'm a bad boy. And my father's heart, it just, it broke right in that moment as he said these words to me. And I've told this story at our freedom encounter, but all I did in that moment was I just had to remind him of who he really was. I'm like, Declan, you're not a bad boy. Like you might've done a bad thing, but that's not who you are. Who you are is loved. Who you are is mine. I I love you with an everlasting love. No matter what you do, God, Declan, you are my son. And as I spoke those words over him, I could literally see his countenance change. I could literally see the tears dry up as I spoke about a love that a father has for his son. See, he was seeing himself through the lens of his failure and not through the eyes of his father. And I think so many times in life, we begin to label ourselves. We we begin to identify as something other than what we really are. And what we need to do, perhaps more than anything else, is learn how our heavenly Father sees us. Because if we can learn to look at ourselves through his eyes, then I believe everything begins to change. And what we need to understand is this this problem that, that humankind has, right, of seeing ourselves differently than God sees us, this actually goes all the way back to the beginning. This is not a new problem, all right? This is not a new problem. It goes all the way back to the beginning. And if we're gonna see ourselves the way that God sees us, we have to understand a few truths. Here's the first one. You have a God-given identity. Now, for some of you, you're like, I know that. Let me just say it again. You, every single one of us, we have a God-given identity. That, that is actually great news. And perhaps you've heard this story, you know, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, right? We, we read about it in the book of Genesis, which that word Genesis literally means origins or beginnings. It's the story of how and why God made the world. More specifically, it's the story of how and why God made us. And if we go all the way back to the book of Genesis, these origins, we see how we were made. And I don't care if you've heard this scripture a thousand times before. The Lord has something new to say to you today. Here's what the Bible says in Genesis chapter one. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock for all the wild animals on the earth and the small animals that scurry along the ground. And so, God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Now, I would venture to say that if we don't understand the significance of what happens in this moment in Genesis chapter one, we will never understand who we are in Christ. We'll we'll never solve our identity problem until we understand what happens here. 
I love the book of Genesis because I love reading about the way that God created the world. I'm a real nerd and one of my favorite like literary moments is reading in the Chronicles of Narnia where Aslan sings creation into existence. It's this beautiful moment. And when I read the book of Genesis, I'm just, I'm amazed by God's power and his creativity and all that he creates. And as you read that story in the book of Genesis, you you probably know this, God creates the world with his words, right? He literally speaks everything into existence. So the spirit of God hovers over the waters, right? But then God begins to speak. And with his voice, he calls mountains forth from the sea. He sets the stars in their place in the sky, right? And so God speaks the world into existence with his words. Until this moment, because when God made humankind, he made them differently than the way the rest of the world had been created. Because while the world was formed with his words, humankind is the very first thing that God touches. It's what sets you and I apart from all of creation. It's what makes us different, that God declared that you were worthy of more than a syllable. And instead of speaking mankind into existence, what he did was he handcrafted us from the dust of the ground. You are the very first thing in the Bible that God touched. If that fact doesn't change something for us, we miss the point of this story. Bible tells us that you were made in the image of God. You were handcrafted by the creator of the universe. The Bible actually goes on to say that then God breathed into Adam and Eve. So, so, so let's just think about that for a moment. You were made in the image of God by the hand of God and you have the breath of God. You were made in the image of God by the hand of God and in you is the breath of God. If we could just figure that out, like close up the Bible, go home, let's just work on that, right? Like if we could just figure that out and believe that truth about us, man, I believe it would begin to solve so many of the problems that we face in this life. You were made in the image of God, by the hand of God, and you have the breath of God. Now, the word image that we read in this passage of scripture in Genesis chapter one is actually really important. It's the Hebrew word selim, okay? Now, I know you didn't come to church for a vocabulary lesson today, but this is actually really important. So this word selim that's translated in Genesis chapter one as image, in other places in the Bible, there's another word for this. It's translated idol, okay? So no, idol is typically kind of a bad word, but let's think about what it is, right? An idol is an image or a statue that was crafted to represent God to the people who would look at it, right? You can think of some moments in scripture like golden calves are set up and all that kind of stuff. The whole point is that it is an image that is meant to reflect God to the world, that people would look at that idol and they would understand what God looks like. Now, interestingly, the Hebrew people are the only ancient people who are specifically commanded by God not to make an image of him. Why? because he already did it himself. The world was already full of walking, talking images that were meant to reflect what God looked like to the world around them. You know what the world was already full of? People. You know why we don't need pictures of God? Because the world is already full of them. It's us. We were created in the image of God. You were designed, listen to me church, to reflect the divine. God's original intent for us 
was that as humankind, we would reflect God to the world around us. You were designed to reflect the divine. See, the great lie of our day is this. The great lie of our day is that identity is self-determined. The great lie of our day, the one that most of us, if we're honest, have bought into, is that I determine who I am that my identity comes from within. But we actually need to understand our identity is not self-determined. That's not the problem. The problem is this, that your God-given identity, it's been stolen. It's been taken away from you. And so what we do is we try to find identity in all of these other places and all of these other labels and all of these other relationships. Our identity is not self-determined. No, the bigger problem, the truer problem is that your identity that God gave to you has been stolen away from you. If we go all the way back to this story that we've been reading in the, in the book of Genesis, what we see is that God creates everything, right? And the culmination of creation is when God creates humankind. He, he forms Adam and Eve from the dust of the ground. And what does he do? He gives them dominion over everything that he's created. He says, everything I've created, it all belongs to you, right? Cultivate it, use it. It's for your enjoyment. And he said, of all the things that I have created, there's only one tree that you ought not to eat from. Because in the garden, you probably read this in the Bible, there are two trees. There's a tree of life, which they can have. And the, then there's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which God tells them, if you were to eat from this tree, you would surely die. And, and so let's not miss it, that when humankind is given the choice between life and death, what do they choose? Death. They choose death. So what happens in the story? Adam and Eve, they eat from this tree, right? How does that happen? Because they begin to doubt who God has made them to be. In Genesis chapter three, Satan slithers his ugly little head into this story and he begins to lie to Eve. He gets her to question who God created her to be. And here's the lie he tells her. He says, you won't die. If you eat of that tree that God told you that one's off limits, you won't die. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. Now let's just stop there. What's the lie? She's already like God. She was made in the image of God. She already is like him. She already reflects God to the world around us. And what he says is, you won't die, God lied to you. You won't die. God knows that you will be like him, knowing both good and evil. The Bible says the woman was convinced. She saw that this tree, it, it was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious and she wanted the wisdom that it would give her and so she took the fruit and she ate it and then she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it, he ate it too. And at that moment, the Bible says, their eyes were opened. That's actually not what happened. <laughs> their vision in this moment is skewed. Their vision in this moment is, is compromised and they no longer see themselves the way that God sees them. How, how do we know that? Well, they suddenly feel shame at their nakedness. For the first time, humankind feels like they're not enough. And, and so they feel shame at their nakedness. The Bible says they sew fig leaves together and, and they cover themselves. What would happen in the very next moment in scripture is they literally hide from God, right? God, God who they've been walking with, they've been enjoying relationship with, they've, they've been in community with him, they hide from him. 
because they feel shame. Just, just let's be clear, shame didn't exist in the world that God created. But they began to see themselves differently than the way that God sees them. This is actually the first time in scripture we see on display what is later described in John chapter 10, verse 10, right? The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, right? Satan's oldest tactic in the war against mankind is to get us to question who God created us to be. His tactics have not changed. It's literally the oldest trick in the book. He attacks Eve's identity. He suggests to Eve how God made you and what God gave you is not enough. And ever since this moment, we live in that same reality. We have been convinced that how God made us and what God gave us is not enough. And what happens is that once that seed of doubt was planted in their minds, it grows into disobedience. And they end up doing things that they weren't designed to do. And so in this moment, instead of, instead of reflecting God, they end up rejecting God. Which is still what happens today. Instead of reflecting God, like we were created to do, we often end up rejecting God. Adam and Eve, they go from walking with God unashamed and free, and then they're, they're covering themselves. They're, they're ashamed of who they are. They hide from God, all because sin distorted God's image in their lives. They no longer saw themselves the way that God sees them. One of our favorite things to do as a family every January is we, we love to go to the South Florida Fair. We love it. We, my, I think my kids were there three or four times this year. And this is a picture of them, Declan and Kinley, on, on one of those days that I got to go over there with them. And my kids love to get the wristband, you know, and ride the rides. And I mean, they could do the same ride over and over and over again. But the one they love more than anything else is like the fun house. When was the last time you were in a fun house? Like, they're amazing, okay? Like, they're so fun. And so they would just run through these fun houses like over and over again. And, and how many of you know that in a fun house, they have these mirrors, right? These mirrors, they look like this. And they, what do they do? They distort your image, right? They make you look all crazy. You know, some of them make you look tall and skinny. I'm like, I like this mirror. <laughs> this mirror is amazing. Some of them make you look like short and fat and you're like, I don't need a mirror for that. You know, like they're, they're awesome, right? And so my kids, they got in front of these mirrors and they were taking these pictures and some they look divided and some they look tall, but, but the whole point is their images have been distorted, right? That's not what they really look like. I brought one more picture just because I think it's awesome. It's not really distorted. I just, no, not that one, the next one. It's just really cute, I think. Yeah. <laughs> so these mirrors, what they do is distort our image, right? We, we don't see in them what we truly look like. And I just need to tell you that that's the same thing that happens in life. The way that we see ourselves ha has been distorted. This is not entirely unlike what happens to us because sin and shame and brokenness, it's distorted our God-given image. It's distorted our God-given identity. And we no longer reflect reflect God to the world around us in the way that we can or the way that we should. Aren't you happy you came to church today? I'm actually here to tell you that there's good news. There's good news. Because even though your God-given identity has been stolen, what, what you need to understand is that your identity, the one God gave you, even though it's been stolen by Satan through sin, it can be recovered and there's only one way to do it. Your identity can be recovered in Christ. Yes. The identity that God gave you 
the way he wanted you to be, the way he designed you to be, to reflect him to the world around you. It's been stolen from you by Satan and by sin, but your identity can be recovered in the person of Jesus. And that is good news for us today. And and listen, I'm going to tell you, like you need to understand who you are, right? You are loved, you are chosen, you are special, you are anointed, you are handcrafted by the king of the universe. You are something something significant. Like we need to understand that, right? You you need to understand who you are in Christ. But more important than that, theologically, you need to understand that the only way to recover your identity is in the person and work of Jesus. I do want to remind you of who you are, but let's not forget it's who you are in Christ. Our true identity can only be recovered in Jesus. And I I genuinely had a hard time picking the scriptures that I was gonna share with you this morning around this idea because there are so many. Like almost so much of the New Testament is about who we are in Christ. And so let me just remind you today of some verses that you understand, but I want them to take root in our hearts today. Second Corinthians chapter five, verse 17 says this, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, which by the way, let's just pause for a second, means that you're either in Christ or you're not in Christ. There is no in between. You're in Christ, you have a personal relationship with God through the sacrifice of Jesus, or you're not. But the Bible says, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone and the new is here, right? That in a relationship with Jesus, we we discover, or rather, we rediscover who we were created to be. It's in Christ that we discover our true identity. See, our real identity is not self-determined. Our real identity doesn't come from within. Our real identity is not found in sin or disobedience. It's not found in doing your own thing. It's not found in whatever makes you happy. It's not found in the law. It's not found in religious observance. It's not found in any of those things, but our true identity, what you're longing for and looking for, your true identity is only found in grace. It's found in mercy. It's found in love. It's found in Jesus. And any label that you put on yourself other than in Christ will fall short. Our identity is in him. Our identity is found in the fact that Jesus, he he saw us in our poor and helpless estate. He, He had compassion on us. He extended grace to us. And it's not just grace, but grace upon grace upon grace. Your true identity is found in a relationship with Jesus. See, Jesus gave his life so that you and I could be reconciled back to God. That's who you are. That's your identity. You are infinitely valuable. You are more loved than you will ever know. You are pursued and adored by the creator of the universe. And if we could just understand that, man, it would change everything. If we could just understand who we are in Christ. Our pastors always say, and it is so powerful and so true, the truest thing about you is what God says about you. And for too long, we have allowed the labels of the world to stick to us. But the more we understand who we are in Christ, those labels just fall off. They fall off. 
There's a book that I read my kids. It's called You Are Special by Max Lucado. And uh, if you don't have it, you need to buy it for anyone you know. But if you've ever heard this story, it's about this little wooden creation. And he lives in a town where the people, they all put stars or dots on each other. Stars they give to the people who are successful and fun and well-liked and good-looking. Dots are given to anyone they consider to be less than. And so his name is Punchinello in the story. He walks around and he's constantly covered in dots. Everybody in the town is either covered with stars or dots until one day he meets a girl who has no stars and no dots. And he says, what's different about you? She says, well, every day I go up and I see Eli, who's the master woodworker. He created all of these people. And she says, I just spend time with him. And the more time I spend with him, the less they stick. And so he, Punchinello, carries all of his dots, works up his courage, and he goes to see Eli, the woodmaker, and and he has this conversation with him in which he's reminded by Eli, no, like I made you. You're mine, you you belong to me. And kind of the last scene in the book is that he, he walks out the front door after spending time with Eli and just one dot falls off. And that's it. We live in a world where we either get stars or dots. (laughs) And the only way to really experience the life that we were created for, the only way to make ourselves immune to the opinions of the world is to spend time with our creator, is to understand who we are in Christ. Because the more we understand who we are in Christ, the more we live out the life that we were purposed for and destined for and created for. And we need to understand this because our identity problem is that we don't see ourselves the way that God sees us. See, a huge part of the Christian life, like once you begin a relationship with Jesus, it really just becomes restoring our true identity in Christ, figuring out who we were really meant to be. We need to imagine for just a moment a, uh, a piece of artwork, maybe a beautiful painting that you've seen before somewhere or Uh, your favorite, just anything that comes to mind, a piece of artwork, piece of uh, a painting that would be considered an artist's like masterpiece, right? His crowning achievement. And I want you to just have that picture in your mind for a moment. And depending on how old that, that piece of art is, depending on how old that painting is, the reality is that what was originally created by that artist over time, that image has been marred. It's, it's been dirtied. It's been sullied. It's been tarnished. And, and you can't really see the painting that was originally there because over time there's, there's dirt and there's grime and there's discoloration and all of it kind of detracts from the beauty of the original image, right? It's just a remnant of the beauty that it once was when it was created. And so you can see it and it's, it's maybe, maybe beautiful, but it's nothing like it's supposed to be. There are those, however, though, with the right focus, with the right passion, with the right skill set, who can restore these distorted images who, who can take away what over time has been built up on top of them, who, who can actually help us see through to what was originally intended. There are those that if we concentrate, can peel back the layers of time and age and we can actually begin to see more clearly the image that was intended. And I just wanna help us understand for a moment today, that's the same is true of us. The image of God that in us has been distorted and discolored and marred by by time and sin and all of these things, man, it's possible. 
for that image to be restored in such a way that we actually begin to reflect to the world around us the image of God that was designed for us. There's a verse in the book of Ephesians, maybe you know this one, Ephesians chapter two. Here's what it says. It says, for we are God's masterpiece. Let's, let's personalize that this morning because it's easier to say it about somebody else. I am God's masterpiece. You, you are God's masterpiece. You know what that word masterpiece means? Crowning achievement. You are God's crowning achievement. Do you believe that? I, honestly, most of us don't. It's hard to sometimes say those words. I am God's masterpiece. I am God's crowning achievement. In a relationship with Jesus, God has created us anew, right? Uh, we've been created anew in Christ Jesus. Why? So that we can do the good things that he planned for us long ago. Why did God create us anew in Christ Jesus? That we might reflect as we were designed the image of God to the world around us. You have a God-given identity. That identity has been stolen, but it can be recovered in Jesus. And when you understand who you are in Christ, then we finally represent God to the world around us the way that it was intended to be in the beginning. You are God's crowning achievement. Live like it. It's live like it, live like you are God's masterpiece. And in that way, we will begin to take back what has been stolen from us, but is rightfully ours. And we will begin to live the life that we were created for. I wanna ask you across all of our campus this morning, just to close your eyes and bow your heads with me for just a moment. I wanna to respond to the word of God today. And the, we're gonna pray two prayers. The first one would be this. You've never began a relationship with God through Jesus, but today you want that relationship because God has come to this earth on a rescue mission to save us from our sins and restore in us the identity that God gave us in the beginning. If you don't have that relationship, you can have it today. You can have it today. And we're all gonna pray this prayer together, but I want you, if you're beginning this relationship for the very first time, you wanna discover who God is and how he's made you to be. You wanna step into a relationship with Jesus. You say this just a little bit louder than everybody else. Just say this, Lord Jesus, I need you. Come into my life. Forgive me of my sin. Help your image in me to shine through the rest of my days. As best as I know how, I will live to honor you. I also wanna pray for anybody in the room today who just, you have that relationship with Jesus, but you're constantly fighting those voices of the world, the voices of your enemy, and you understand that today you need to rediscover who you are in Christ. You are setting yourself again on the journey of understanding your identity in Christ. God, for each and every one of us, all of us who follow Jesus, God, help us to understand that the truest thing about us is what you say about us. God, help us not to look to the labels of this world, or the successes of this world to define us. Help us to understand our identity in every single area of our lives is not self-determined. It's determined by you. And the more we walk in that identity, the more we will experience the life that we were created for. God, help us to take back our identity. In Jesus' name, everybody said.
Amen. Amen. Thank you again for spending time with us today. If you're looking to take a step in discovering the more that God has in store for you, just text the word podcast to the number 441-441 and select the option that applies to you. And if you enjoyed this message, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. A special thanks to those of you who generously give to all that God is calling us to do together. It's because of you that everything that we do is possible. We'll see you right back here for next week's message.